disability in the case of a patient with cystic fibrosis means you can't breathe. I mean, when you have advanced disease, but because they look so good, they have an invisible illness for much of the progression, people don't realize the limitations and we need something to really explain what it is like to live with it. We really do need to continue to educate people. You know, disability in the case of a patient with cystic fibrosis means you can't breathe. I mean, when you have advanced disease, but because they look so good, they have an invisible illness for much of the progression, people don't realize the limitations. Some people have mild disease, some people have moderate disease, and some people have severe disease. And so one of the things about doing a coming of age story is you get to see some of the mild stages, and then you see a little bit of the moderate. And then in the case of Mallory, you get to see the end stage, which is hard to look at, but it's important for people to realize it is a disease that kills people. I feel like people with CF are privy to secrets it takes most other people a lifetime to understand. How lucky we are to be alive. That we can leave behind a legacy when we go that will impact others. That simple things are often the most beautiful. That love and happiness are the most important things to strive for. Diane, thank you so much for joining us here on TSC News TV on MNN. Absolutely incredible story. We saw the trailer. Very powerful stuff for, for both of you. I, I got to ask, why did you decide to make this collaboration happen right now? And why was this the right time to release Salt in My Soul? Well, um, I read the book. I was sent the book by one of the producers of the documentary at the end of 2019. Um, and I sat down, read it, was completely blown away. Uh, by both, you know, Mallory's, the specifics of the story, the um, the kind of the themes, the lessons, the, just the general spirit. And I think, um, you know, uh, we're in a way kind of lucky to be releasing it right now. Um, you know, the kind of the struggles Mallory went through, the resilience she showed in going through those struggles, I think is something people are going to recognize, you know, with what, what we've all been going through the last couple of years. And from my standpoint, the book was released by Random House in 2019, and I spent a year on the road speaking to audiences. And at one point early on, Richard Abadi, one of the producing partners that works with Will, had said he thought this would be great on film. And because Mallory was a writer and had spent 10 years using that medium, I really wanted the book to come out. But a year in, I realized that we would be reaching more people if there was also a film. And so at that point, when he approached and said, would you like to have a documentary made? And I said, yes, and I was ready. And then his recommendation of Will is why I took a leap of faith and turned Mallory's story over to an unknown producer who I didn't really know, but who has done a wonderful job of bringing her story to the screen. Obviously it has been a tough journey, but an incredibly inspirational story for you, Diane, with your writing background, how much did that help you in the making of this film? Oh, tremendously, tremendously. And also working in publicity, marketing and writing, I definitely knew a lot of the pitfalls to avoid. I knew the, I knew exactly what to do and I knew the questions to ask and it was very, very helpful. And one of the reasons why I, Will makes fun of me that I put my email up on the internet 
but I feel like there have been so many people who have taught me in my career and made themselves accessible and available. And I, I see it's really hard to know how to navigate because there's so much material out there and content and in different formats. And so I think it is, it's good to, it's good to take advice from people and it's good to give back. So I, I learned from a lot of people and now I'm trying to help a lot of people. So. That's fantastic. And, and Will, of course, when telling a story like this, obviously you have the pleasure of working with Diane on, on, on this and everything, uh, but how much responsibility is there to not only tell the story, tell Mallory's story, the quote unquote right way, uh, but also in a way where it resonates with so many people? Yeah, I mean, those those two kind of went hand in hand in the end. You know, I I knew going in, you know, we weren't making um, a documentary that was kind of, you know, an expose of anything, you know, we weren't, and I really wanted to avoid kind of, you know, going after obvious targets, because it sort of seems to be that so many docs fall into that trap, you know, of sort of saying the same things over and over again, of, you know, who are the bad guys, and it's, um, you know, and I think in Mallory, what was so clear was there's this, you know, really kind of beautiful character, right? So I, I thought, okay, let's let's make something that feels a little bit more cinematic, a little bit more um, like a, you know, a, a feature film, right? And 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 work on the characters and think about scenes and, you know, tell this kind of very classic coming of age story with this massive twist, right? Which is obviously she's dying while she's coming of age, you know, and, and she has to deal with that. Um, you know, and then within that, of course, there are the, you know, there were the usual responsibilities of a documentarian, right? You have to you have to actually teach people something, you know, you have to, you have to tell the truth. You have to, um, you know, and, and the added sort of pressure on me was that I didn't know Mallory, you know, before she passed away. So I was, I was very much playing catch up in that, um, you know, and, and in some ways the lockdown was good because it gave us a little bit more editing time and it gave me more time to get to know her and, and really make sure we were, you know, presenting her story truthfully, um, you know, and, and hopefully impactfully. So was post-production and a lot of the production primarily during the pandemic? No, no. I mean, we were very lucky. We we um, we shot uh, just before the pandemic. I mean, we literally, we brought the DP back from the cinematographer back from Hawaii, where he was shooting a lot of the B-roll stuff there. Um, we flew him back early because they were just about to close LaGuardia. Um, and... Um, and then we then we were editing during the pandemic. So, you know, we, we definitely got more time than we normally would. You know, um, we were able to be a little bit more focused, um, you know, and I, and, I, and that was a valuable, too, because, you know, part of this, the journey on any film like this is, you know, discovering the archival stuff and the raw material, um, you know. And so I was really able to work with Diane on that and kind of really push her in moments to try and find certain things. And, you know, there were discoveries along the way. Um, so yeah, we in in a way, I you know it was it was lucky, good timing. In the era we're living in today, there's so much overexposure with with social media and content creation, and sometimes it can be used for the wrong reasons. And I feel like with Mallory's story, especially with her, you know, documenting every step along the way, it, it's the opposite, right? It's the positive. So would you two say that in this day and age, that that her story kind of represents the kind of the beauty of social media and the positive impact it can have? I would, yeah. I mean, I think it's one of those rare stories, right, where you know, and and certainly specifically for people with CF and young people with CF, social media is an absolute lifeline because, you know, they can't be together, you know, and they really have to be incredibly careful. You know, they this is a community, right, where most of the COVID protocols come from this world of mask wearing, sick, being six feet apart, 
you know, being incredibly careful about, you know, contamination because they're so susceptible, you know, because their their lungs are so, you know, the, the mucus isn't moving through them because of this the salt receptor thing that's gone wrong in the CF patient. Um, but yeah, so I think it's really valuable. And, and I think I think it's also a lesson in it's not that these tools of social media are in themselves bad, right? It's how you use them. Right. And what you use them for. And, you know, are, are you are you being creative? Right. And, you know, you can be creative in a TikTok video. You can be creative in an Instagram post or you can be facile and stupid and meaningless. Right. And that, but that you know, I'm not going to judge anybody about, you know, how they use it. But, um, yeah, I think Mallory's a great example of somebody who, you know, she worked in so many different media. Right. I mean, like audio, podcasts, social, you know, she had private video diaries. She you know, obviously wrote this extraordinary secret diary, um, you know, and I think just, yeah, an amazing example of how to use all that stuff. For you, Diane, uh, I do have friends who have, you know, gone through something similar, not necessarily with CF, but, you know, really tough, tragic times, and they've found healing in advocacy, in charity work, and inspiring others with the stories of their lost loved ones. Do you feel that this journey that you've gone through over the years, especially over the last you know, four or five years since this is Mallory's passing, that this has really kind of helped you in the healing process? 100%. When Mallory died, I had been parenting her, you know, obsessively in a helicopter way, very closely. And the thing that many people have told me that have lost children is that they don't know what to do with themselves. And I, I did have a job. I do have work and I find it very meaningful and I love it, but it's very different. And so bringing Mallory's words to publication was the first part of the journey. Then going out on the road for a year before the pandemic shut us in was incredibly healing because it gave me the chance to leave my immediate community and not be sort of telling Mallory's story over and over to the same people who, as much as they loved her, would probably get tired of hearing it, but to bringing her story to new audiences. And then it was interesting because in 2020, when we had to pivot to lockdown, I initially thought nobody's going to care about the story of a girl who died three years ago or two years ago, whatever it was at that point, three years ago, when other people are dying every day and COVID has really taken center stage. So for the first few months, I didn't do anything. And then the first place I spoke was UCF, um, University of UCSF, University of San Francisco. And um to a transplant program, doctors and pulmonologists. And they were basically saying, you have to keep going. You have to tell the story. So then I spent the next two years doing it that way. And every time it becomes very emotional for me, it's not like it gets any easier to tell it, but it also does move the needle in terms of the healing process. And along the way, I've connected with so many people who have had equally catastrophic losses. And what it does is it reminds you that you're not alone that grief and loss are part of the human experience. And that does help because it's very easy to sort of get swallowed up in your own personal drama and emotion. But Mallory not only left me a roadmap for my own personal healing, but her story has enabled us to shine a spotlight on so many important issues, both in the book and in the film. We have antimicrobial resistance, which leads to superbugs, phage therapy, which is a treatment that's gonna change the trajectory for people with superbugs organ donation, invisible illness, mental health. They're just, there's so many, the power of the patient voice, the reason to write for healing, the sharing of stories, narrative medicine. It just, the kind of the list goes on and on. And what I love about the film is that Will didn't try to teach or preach. He just told this story in a way that 
lets people see in themselves, you know, they see themselves in their film, they see the issues they care about in the film. So Gunnar Esiason, who is, he um, runs the Boomer Esiason Foundation and he's got cystic fibrosis and he really loved the book and loves the movie. And he looked at it and said, I want this film to be the film that introduces antimicrobial resistance to mainstream America. The people in working in phage therapy say, wow, this is the film we want to introduce phage therapy. People waiting for transplant with all the shortages of organs say, wow, we want this film to be the film that reminds people they have to check that organ donation box. And the list goes on. And I think that's the beauty in the film is that it it's a vehicle for people to use it however they want to or need to. Well said. And, and I think also what's beautiful in a way as well, with, with all the treatment Mallory went through, you mentioned you know, the, the treatment for, for superbugs. Now, from what I understand, based on what I saw in the documentary, now that's being used to combat some strains of COVID-19, right? A hundred percent. And also just yesterday, <clears throat> excuse me, in Nature Magazine, there's a case of a girl who was a victim of a bombing, a terrorist attack. She developed a superbug infection, I guess, at the site of the wound and they used phage therapy and they successfully treated her. And now phage therapy centers are springing up all over the world and this work is being done. And Mallory's case absolutely reignited interest in this treatment that was around a hundred years ago, but had been sort of cast aside when this tremendous focus on antibiotics because of the ability to make so much money for them. It's hard it's to find a living organism. Correct. It's not, it's not treating COVID. It's treating underlying infections in COVID patients. That was what that was used for there. Um, and specifically, so let's be really specific, patients with COVID that ended up on ventilators and wow. got secondary bacterial infections. Yeah. yeah, which is, of course, where, you know, that's how people become very susceptible to superbugs. They're in, they're in hospital environments where there are so many of these resistant germs. They're already, they've already got hugely weakened systems. Mm -hmm. So that, that's what the phage was used for in, in that case. Um, but, but Stephanie, Stephanie Strathy, who's the woman who helped Mark get the phages for Mallory, she is the epidemiologist who was able to save her husband. And he was a perfectly healthy person, not in a hospital. They were traveling to a country and they were on a vacation and he picked up this random superbug. He came back and he was in a coma days away from dying. And they tried phage therapy. That was in 2016. But she... She's an epidemiologist, not a publicist. And so she didn't get enough publicity to really launch this treatment in a way that it really needed to be heard. And so when she helped Mallory, then we teamed up and the sum is greater than the whole of its parts. And, you know, she had a lot of connections in the phage therapy world. And now everybody's coming together and Clubhouse has a phage therapy group and there's a phage therapy convention or conference every year. So now people are understanding but still, every time I speak to an audience, I say, anybody heard about phage therapy? And most of them are like, what's that? So we have a lot of work to do, and hopefully the film will help. Definitely. You guys are, are doing great work. And obviously, Diane, you've been knee deep in this for, for a long time. But for Will, were there any misconceptions about cystic fibrosis that you had, or maybe that there was a public perception of <laughs> that you kind of recalibrated in the making of this film? probably just outright ignorance, right? It's one of those words that, you know, um, you hear, right? I mean, I, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, my wife and I went through fertility treatments. And so, you know, you do genetic testing and my wife is a, a carrier of the CF gene. Um, so they tested me and I wasn't. And, you know, even then we didn't do the research to figure out exactly what it was. So I, I really didn't know what it was coming into this. And I think what's been very moving about, you know, a handful of uh, cystic fibrosis patients have seen the film and, you know, their feeling is that the, you know, they want the general public to see the film. 
to understand what the disease is, right? Because I think that's it's you know it's um it's the number one genetic killer in this country, right? It's Thirty thousand people suffer from it in the United States, um, and I think there's just the sort of general misunderstanding about what it is, what it does to you, you know. And that's a fine line too, because you know you don't want to make a you know a disease of the week movie where it's sort of all of these, you know, because it's a it's a pretty you know really ravages the human body this disease, um, you know. So we really wanted to kind of balance you know the information but you know and give you the information through story right that's what diane said i i'd much rather people feel something and then realize they've learned something rather than telling them what i think they ought to know um so that was that was a sort of a, a careful thing but um no I, I went in a total ignoramus and i've come out knowing a little bit more not as much as diane but a little bit more well and i just want to add one thing on that one of the initial conversations we had I mentioned that the book was being used in disability studies and Will laughed at that. He was like, what do you mean disability? You know, Mallory wasn't disabled. And that to me made me understand that we really do need to continue to educate people because he'd read the book and he knew what Mallory suffered with. And he didn't understand, you know, disability in the case of a patient with cystic fibrosis means you can't breathe. I mean, when you have advanced disease, but because they look so good, they have an invisible illness for much of the progression. People don't realize the limitations. The food, the mil, the, um, the movie Five Feet Apart, which grossed like ninety million dollars, which tells me a lot of people saw it, was a fictionalized version. And you know, it was interesting the reaction in the CF community. Many people felt like, and it was literally like a split between the fifty percent of the people who said, "Wow, this film's going to make people realize there is this disease called CF and they have to take it seriously," and the other half said, you know, this doesn't really portray what life is like, and we need something to really explain what it is like to live with it. Now, there are very different presentations of CF, just as there are with cancer. You know, some people with breast cancer get a diagnosis and they die. I had breast cancer when I was 38. Now I'm 62 and never look back. It's the same with CF. Some people have mild disease. Some people have moderate disease and some people have severe disease. And so one of the things about doing a coming of age story is you get to see some of the mild stages and then you see a little bit of the moderate. And then in the case of Mallory, you get to see the end stage, which is hard to look at, but it's important for people to realize it is a disease that kills people. Such an inspirational story, inspirational journey on your end alone and your families. Uh, what's the best advice you give anybody watching or listening to this when it comes to grief, overcoming tragedy and turning something like this into a positive? Well, the, the line that we say, all the moms I am involved with, and there's a whole group of us who've lost our children, we say the key is pain and turning pain into purpose, triumph into tragedy. All those cliches that you hear actually work when you are doing something in service of the memory of your child and you know you're doing something that's bringing good to other people. It helps. It just helps because you feel like your child didn't die in vain. And you feel like you can have a reason to keep talking about them and keep their memory alive. And sometimes it's as simple for an eight-year-old who's lost a parent as doing a bake sale in the memory of their mom. Or, you know, it could be a post, a series of posts on social media. It doesn't have to be a memoir. It doesn't have to be a documentary. It can be photographs with captions. It can be a podcast. You know, we have a lot of medium available. Hence the reason we have so much content out there. But I think for everybody who loses somebody, if you actually do something to memorialize your loved one, you will feel better about, about the loss. I've never met anybody who has done something that regrets doing it. 
Wow. I, th- I think that'll definitely resonate with, with a whole lot of people, especially when they check out Salt in My Soul, available video on demand January 25th. You both have dropped a, a lot of gems, a lot of great information uh, about the film for anybody that wants to check it out. Will, in one line or less, is there anything else you want to tell us about the film? One reason why people should check it out. One line or less. Um, I've already used up my one line. Um, <laughs> it's it, Look, it's, it's, I think, a story of real kind of um, tragedy and hope. It's a story of, you know, loss. It's a story of moving forward, of resilience. Um, you know, and I think it's a film that will speak to everybody, given what we've all lived through. Well, thank you two so much for the time. Before we let you two go, where can fans find you online and all the great work you're doing? So uh, the film's website is saltinmysoldoc.com and um, that will tell you how you can see the film. It'll give you access to all the various platforms. Plus it allows you to sign up for our newsletter and it gives you all the social media information. My reason for thinking people should watch this film is because Mallory had insights in her 25 years that some people don't get to in a long lifetime, in a full lifespan. And I think that people will fall in love with her and it will be easy to watch at the same time. It's very difficult to watch. And where can folks find you online and all the great work that you're doing? Well, salt, I, I do everything through saltinmysoldoc.com and also saltinmysoldbook.com. We're raising money. I took Will's trailer, the two minute trailer that he and the editor cut, and I sent it out because we've raised in Mallory's lifetime, we raised $5.5 million for research. And since she's passed away, we have continued to keep going. And with just simply sending out the trailer, we raised $100,000 and we're going to be using it for research in the area of phage therapy because it has not been receiving the attention or the funding that it deserves. And antimicrobial resistance, which leads to superbugs, is going to affect all of us, not just patients with CF. And I think it's really important to stretch beyond the CF community to try to help other people as well. And that's a very specific treatment that many, many, many people will benefit from. And my, my email and contacts on both websites. Fantastic. Well, Diane, it was an absolute pleasure, an incredible documentary. I strongly suggest everybody check it out, stream it, watch it, video on demand, salt in my soul, January 25th. Thank you so much.